Welcome back, everybody, to episode three of our podcast on weight management. Um, the two original podcasts, the first two that we did, we talked about weight management, we talked about diet and exercise, and we want to get into now lifestyle factors, if we could. And uh, my guest today is Dr. Jacqueline Jacques uh, from Thorne. I'm Dr. Alan Miller from Thorne. And uh, we're going to have a little conversation here about the other things that affect uh, weight management, those other lifestyle issues. And uh, those things can can really trip you up. You know, you've got people usually think of the the diet uh, exercise type of lifestyle um, issues, but there are other things that uh, can definitely have an impact on your ability to manage your weight. So let's just jump right in here, Jacqueline. Uh, welcome back. Thank you, Alan. Nice to be back. So um, let's let's start off with um, some S's. I want to talk about sleep, and then we can talk about some other S's like stress and sugar. Uh, let's let's talk first about sleep. Why is sleep so important for weight management? Yeah, well, you know, I, I love this whole category talking about things like sleep and stress and, um, as you said, all the S's that uh, contribute to. Uh, our uh, either ability to lose weight or can hinder our ability to maintain a healthy weight. Um, sleep is way up there and has actually gotten a lot of attention uh, in the world of weight management in the past decade um, as we really started to learn that people who have disturbed sleep can uh, experience more weight gain and have a harder time maintaining a healthy weight. They can also see uh, metabolic challenges. So we see um, more uh, dysregulation of blood sugar, we see more sleep apnea, we see other challenges um, along the same line. So what we have uh, really behind this is a hormonal imbalance more than anything else. Um, our sort of sleep and wake cycles are regulated by a variety of things, but when we think about sleep, the dominant hormone that we have uh, during our sleep cycle is something called melatonin. Um, and that should be a hormone that starts to peak shortly after people go to sleep and stays in a reasonably higher range uh, while you're asleep. And then it drops towards morning. And when it does that, another hormone called cortisol, which most people think of as a stress hormone, but uh, maybe we could all agree that waking up is sometimes a little bit stressful uh, with or without an alarm clock. So uh, in the morning, um, melatonin should drop and cortisol should rise or uh, spike in the morning and, and with that the things that wake us up so it kind of raises your heart rate and um, raises your you know changes your blood sugar a little bit makes you you know get up and feel ready to get some breakfast and eat and get ready for your day um when this gets out of balance and uh you know for the variety of reasons that sleep can get out of balance we start to see an imbalance uh between melatonin and cortisol so that rhythm gets off and when it does, it has a whole range of uh, impacts on metabolism. So cortisol in particular, which I know we're going to talk about stress a little bit too um, here in this conversation today, uh, when the cycle for cortisol is off, so if you're not sleeping and melatonin maybe isn't as high as it should be late at night and cortisol goes up when it shouldn't go up, um, this can uh, have a an impact on, on our blood sugar, and it can have an impact on uh, our metabolism um, such that um, it favors people gaining weight over losing weight. So we really need that sleep cycle to be balanced um, for the best control of our metabolism. 
So what can cause that that uh, melatonin and cortisol rhythm to get out of balance in the first place? Oh, so many things. Um, you know, uh, probably a, a variety of things for people. So stress in general, that's something that a lot of people, we just have. And, you know, we talk generally about all the benefits of, of stress management. Um, uh, and hopefully, you know, people have good strategies for that. Um, if people are listening to this and they uh, want to find some strategies and they, they don't, you know, have um, some places to start, we've got some great information on our website for around stress management. Um, you know, so stress, especially uh, stress and anxiety that keeps you up at night and you're having a hard time sleeping because of that, that can be part of it. Um, light, so artificial light, you know, our, our brains um, are not used to having uh, you know, excess light after the time that the sun goes down. So if we're keeping uh, our environment when we're trying to sleep, if there's too much light coming in, um, that can actually stop melatonin from being released. So you may never uh, get enough melatonin um, being made in your brain to get good deep sleep. That can be a contributing factor. Um, other things just to slur- disturb sleep, sleep environment. So um, noise is a big one for people. So if you're regularly being woken up from, you know, a loud environment or, uh, you know, other things that, uh, you know, not always that are bad, maybe, you know, maybe your kids are keeping you up at night or your, your pets or other things, but those can all, all be contributory, um, to sort of a disturbed sleep environment. And, and then there's things that, you know, people may be out of their control. We have people who work, uh, work late hours, you know, shift workers or other people who just, you know, work hours that keep them up past what we might consider to be an optimal bedtime, things like that. So huge variety of factors that impact sleep. Now, my my iPhone at 9 p.m. Uh, changes its display from being uh, sort of a, a bluish uh, kind of a display to more of an amber display. Uh, and I think they're, they're doing that in response to some research on blue light and the blue spectrum of light uh, interrupting our sleep, I believe. What do, you, what do you know about that? Yeah, I, don't, I actually probably don't know about as much about that as I should. I know that there's been a lot of uh, research looking at the impact of blue light, um, you know, sort of being received through the eye into the brain and what that does with, um, you know, everything from eye strain to headache development to, you know, just general brain function. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's research on that with sleep, but you may know more about that than I do. Um, uh, I think I kind of just noticed that my phone had started doing that at some point without me asking it to actually, to be honest, <laughs> now that you say it. Um, and I think a lot of that data comes off of, you know, looking at a, com- a computer screen data, right? right. And the impact yeah, of yeah. coming off of computer screens and, and the effect of that on eye function and brain functions. So, um, it would not at all surprise me if uh, late night screen use is a contributing factor to poor sleep cycles. So bottom line, if I sleep more, will I lose more weight? Yeah, um, no one's ever actually really shown that directly. So, you know, um, we haven't really shown the opposite so much that if we, you know, if you sleep, you know, 10 hours instead of seven hours, are you going to lose more weight? Um, But at least in an indirect way, we do know that having regular sleep uh, has a positive benefit on metabolism. And um, knowing that, we would assume that it would at least be contributing factor to helping people be in a more favorable state for weight loss or weight maintenance. 
And not getting enough sleep uh, can be the result of stress and it can cause stress itself. Yes. Um, can you explain that connection uh, a little more in depth about the, the connection between stress uh, and weight and cortisol? Yeah. So again, we mentioned cortisol in talking about sleep as being, you know, sort of our our stress hormone um, stays in balance with cortisol. But cortisol, you know, plays a pretty big role when it comes to um, regulating uh, metabolism and regulating appetite. So, I mean, most people know this. I think most people have generally had the experience of having their appetite being impacted by stress, and it can be in either way for people. There's people who definitely notice that if they're under stress, um, they, you know, uh, they get a lot more cravings, um, they may eat more in response to stress, they may eat particularly more sugar or more sweet foods in response to stress. Um, that's definitely something I think that many people have experienced. You have the occasional person on the opposite who actually gets the opposite effect, that their appetite is sort of um, completely shut off by stress. Um, so we see oh, this. Oh, if we could be so lucky. but but both are you know i guess i guess what i'm saying is that in general i think a lot of people have had the experience of knowing that stress um you know when it is high enough can have a fairly significant impact on on appetite and on our response to food and on our cravings um so you know we've actually learned that this isn't just a sort of a perceived experience it's a real experience um it's primarily influenced by the hormone cortisol so again that hormone that um you know is a a stress hormone if you will um it can you know be a benefit to us so you know there's times where it's actually you know good to have a little spike in your cortisol um uh, you know, when you're under certain kinds of stress, but when it happens for a long period of time and when people have chronic dysregulation of that stress hormone, um, usually due to chronic lifestyle factors, um, it really starts to affect metabolism. So it has a, a big influence on, um, you know, how we regulate blood sugar and how the body uh, stores um, fat in particular. So we see when people have more chronically elevated cortisol, um, they tend to crave more sugar. Um, they tend to have more dysregulation of their blood sugar. They tend to uh, gain more weight, especially abdominal weight. Um, so weight around their, their bellies. Um, and that can even be more of a vicious cycle because that belly fat uh, actually has a greater impact on metabolic function. So um, the more of that that happens, it tends to be a, a process that makes itself worse. So, um, you know, underpinning that, if we can figure out ways to help um, manage that stress, then we tend to have a very positive impact on um, down the line on, on weight control. There was actually another interesting study that, that just came out that looked at um, uh, stress and anxiety increasing inflammation independently. Uh, of the mechanisms that we know about stress. So we're learning that some of these processes um, have multiple, you know, effects. Um, so again, the more things that we can do to to manage that stress in our lives, um, the better it tends to be for our health in a lot of ways, not just weight. I was wondering if you were going to touch on that, on, on the inflammatory part of it and the somewhat new knowledge that we have of fat cells being more metabolically active than we thought, you know, when it comes to uh, yeah, creating, to, creating those mean, inflammatory it, signals. It, it's a really big deal. I mean, I think, you know, it, when you and I 
or at least <laughs> I'm going to date myself, but I mean, when I was first starting to study physiology, fat was considered to be inert, right? And that's how we talked about it. It was kind of like this inert storage material. Um, we now know that fat is incredibly metabolically active. So um, again, you know, what I'm saying here sort of almost as an aside that this dysregulation of cortisol that can cause more of this development of of abdominal fat or what we call visceral fat um, can have a negative impact on metabolism and metabolic health. That's a big deal. Um, we now know that, that that fat, especially the fat in the abdomen, um, can um, produce all kinds of inflammatory substances. It produces even some of the hormones that um, further cause dysregulation um, uh, of weight and uh, appetite. And so that it's an imbalance that tends to um, spiral out of control uh, on its own a little bit if we don't start to do things to regulate it. So uh, everybody's life is stressful in one way or another. What can we do uh, to have that not impact our weight? Yeah, well, I mean, or just have it not impact our health, right? Because well, know, there's that. Yes, that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a big deal overall. Um, I will say that there's no perfect solution, and I think in the in the scope of a podcast like this, there's no way you and I can, you know, discuss every solution for stress for people. I really do think this is a place where we have some great resources on our website. So, um, if people have some time and they something they're interested in, going over to thorn.com and you can just type in stress. <laughs> Uh, in the little search bar up there, you'll get some really great references um, and uh, things to look at as ideas for managing and dealing with stress in your life. Um, I think, you know, for me, the two big things that I have often told people to look at is there's always, for most people, the list of stresses that they can't control and the list of stresses that they can. <laughs> and so if I was going to encourage people to make a simple exercise, it would be you know, make a two-column list, um, one with the things that you can't directly control and one with the things that you can directly control, and try to figure out what you can do on that list of things you have control over to reduce your stress. You know, so if it is, you know, taking a couple of extra minutes for yourself at some point in your day to, you know, step outside and, you know, experience nature or figuring out how to get yourself in bed 30 minutes earlier every night so that you can get a little bit more sleep or maybe get a little bit better sleep. Um, exercise, which, you know, we talked about extensively, I think, on our second uh, conversation that we had, is probably um, better studied than anything else for mitigating stress. So any ways that people can work exercise into their lives will have um, really known studied positive <laughs> benefits for reducing stress. Um, so, uh, good relationships, you know, spending time with family, spending time with friends, um, uh, has been, you know, well-documented for stress relief and, and so have other, you know, practices from, you know, yoga to prayer to meditation. Um, so exploring all of those things that we can, we can do and have control over, I think is probably the best place for people to start. Good stuff. Good resources there. Yeah, um, I, I'm surprised sometimes going to, going to our website and seeing the number of resources that we have for people to go and, and learn. 
And maybe it's the topic that you and I can come back to again at another time and just do a whole talk on stress. But I think, I, I think that's, we probably could, that's yeah. a place where I would I would really encourage people to go explore the website because I, I do think we have a lot of good information there. One of the things that we have um, actually that I think it's our most popular home test kit actually that we sell uh, is our stress kit. So if people are really you know struggling with it, it's something they're concerned with, we actually have a home test kit that measures those hormones, people can measure them um, at home and get some sense of how much impact their stress is having actually on their body and on their hormones. And that kit actually, when people do that test, they get a lot of personalized recommendations for what they can do based on their uh, results uh, to help with their stress. So that's another great resource. uh, Yeah, that is, it's a great resource and it's uh, something that you can take those results and they're, they're good, actionable results that you get from that. Um, and you can take them to your doc, to your healthcare practitioner, and, and discuss it with them and you know, figure out a, a good plan of action. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, again, if this is something that people are really struggling with, I think that's something that is, uh, is good to look into. So we talked about lifestyle. We, or we talked about diet last time. Um, and... You know, diet lifestyle sort of intermingles here. Um, Pretty much everybody agrees these days that sugar, refined carbohydrates are bad for your weight. Uh, What exactly do those types of nutrients do to make them worse than other foods? Yeah, so um, I first want to say something. I think that, um, you know, when we talk about diet as a general category in the public, um, there is always a strong tendency to, you know, make certain foods and certain food groups sort of, you know, the the evil of all evils, right? Um, And I'm a little bit personally opposed to that. I don't think that saying that, you know, 100% of all carbohydrates are bad and that they should be 100% eliminated from people's diets is, you know, is really um, a good idea in the same way that it it ultimately turned out not to be a good idea back in the 1980s for us to tell people that 100% of all fat was bad, right? Right, right, yeah. So, um, you know, we definitely know that within the category of carbohydrates, there are good beneficial carbohydrates. We know that to be true. So um, I am I'm not in favor of sort of, you know, stigmatizing an entire category of foods. Um, but the more we've learned about weight control, um, the more we've understood particularly the hormonal um, influences of weight control and metabolism, um, the more that we have really seen that particularly refined sugars and refined carbohydrates have a, probably a bigger impact than other foods do uh, on weight control. Um, so. Uh, a big bolus dose of sugar, refined carbohydrate, um, uh, stimulates a hormone in the body called insulin. Uh, and when we do that, um, uh, a spike in insulin uh, does some things that are important. So that's how we kind of, you know, trigger the hormonal cascade that lets us tap into those energy resources from our food, right? So we want to be able to do that. Otherwise, we'd be weak and tired and exhausted all the time. Um, that's not good. Uh, but when we do that, in an overstimulatory way, when we do that too much or we do it too often or we do it too strongly, um, it starts to put us into a negative um, metabolic situation where we're storing too much of that uh, energy um, and where that gets stored in as, is as fat. 
Um, and eventually, if we start kind of hitting that system too much too frequently, we end up with what's called insulin resistance. So the system starts to break down, and that's where we see uh, increased metabolic dysfunction and, you know, on the continuum of people even actually going down the road to developing type 2 diabetes. So it can start to really, you know, cascade again uh, into an area where um, it's not only leading to weight gain, but it's leading to bigger and worse health problems um, that further contribute to weight gain, but also contribute to um, inflammation and cardiovascular, uh, you know, dysfunction and other health problems that we associate with later stages um, of obesity and metabolic dysfunction. So well, the way I think that we tend to think about these foods as being quote-unquote, worse than others is, first of all, we overconsume them as a society, right? So we really had to look at, like, you know, what foods we tend to, you know, abuse as a culture. Um, high sugar, um, high refined carbohydrate foods are probably the top abused foods um, in our culture. Um, and our abuse of them has certainly contributed to a decline uh, in a certain area of health in North America, which would be uh, a rise in obesity and a decline in our metabolic health. So, um, you know, I think that's why we tend to think of them as worse and why we really feel like overall, if most people could dramatically reduce the intake of these foods in their diets, um, we would see a lot, uh, a lot of healthier people um, be easier also for people to manage their weight. You went past something fairly quickly. Uh, that oh. is, no, it's okay. It's it's something that is like near near and dear to you, and and something that you understand so well that maybe our listeners don't understand as well. And that is this whole concept or this whole biochemical process here of when you take in too many calories as sugar, it transforms itself into fat. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I think. It's easier for people to think if I consume fat, then I then that becomes fat. Um, but actually, excess calories uh, in general um, will become fat because fat is how we store excess energy in our bodies. Um, and more so even, and this maybe is what you're alluding to, more so even than uh, excess calories from fat, excess calories from sugar actually trigger, trigger that hormonal cascade. In other words, by stimulating insulin, they directly turn on the mechanism that tells your body to store those calories as fat. That's amazing, right? isn't so it? Yeah. That's, the, mm -hmm. that's the switch that gets turned on by sugars. So um, it is an easy way to trigger that mechanism, and if we trigger it too much and we trigger it too often, um, we tend to not like the results. Okay, so what's the easiest way to reduce that sugar consumption? Now, the easiest way, if you have the discipline to do it, is probably to um, stop eating refined and packaged uh, packaged foods. Um, that's probably the single easiest way for most people. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty simple exercise to really get most refined sugar out of your diets. Um, probably the number one place that people re like easily abuse this is in things that they drink. So soda, um, even, you know, fruit juices, which are basically free sugars floating in water more than anything else, um, might seem super healthy to, 
you know, to drink some apple juice or things like that. Or, um, but you know, the reality is there's, there's nothing much more in those than, than some flavor components and, um, and sugar and liquid. So, um, if we started with just our liquid consumption of sugar, um, and then just looking at particularly packaged foods for most people, honestly, are the biggest places that people access their sugar, be it from, um, you know, cereals to, you know, snack bars, um, things of that kind tend to be the greatest sources of sugars in the diet. And if we move from there, the next biggest category is going to be the more refined category of carbohydrates. So that's going to be things like, um, you know, white bread and, you know, refined pastas. Um, so the kinds of grains that have been processed such that the fiber has been largely stripped away from them and we really just have more of the simple carbohydrate content. Um, those are probably the second most uh, dominant group that uh, is kind of offending in this category when we look at what we eat. So um, it, it's the, the old nutritionist trick of when you go grocery shopping of uh, staying to the perimeter of the store and not diving down into the aisles as much as possible to avoid all of those foods that are prepackaged, processed like crazy and, you know, have a higher sugar content. Yeah, you know, and, you know, it never hurts to turn around the label on a product and take a look and see if, you know, if sugar is in the first two or three ingredients, you know, at the top of the list, there's probably a choice that's better. Right. And and it surprises me sometimes that people don't do that. I always want to see, okay, what's in this? If it's something that's packaged, what what is here in this as far as nutrients and, and ingredients? And uh, yeah, some people don't do that and have to be kind of reminded to make sure that they, uh, they, they flip that around. So if it's something people aren't doing, it's definitely a good practice to get into is just, you know, start being aware of, you know, where the sugar content is in the things you're eating. And, and building awareness usually will lead most people towards healthier, healthier habits in terms of what they eat. Can't change something that you're not aware of. Uh, okay, so, so we've talked about three S's so far that can affect uh, your lifestyle and can affect your ability to manage your weight. Uh, the, the last one, we've talked about sleep, stress, sugar, Last one being sedentary living. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there's been sort of this uh, increase in research that's come out on sedentary lifestyles in recent years. But I, I believe that many people have kind of confused it with research on ex exercise. Um, so I'm glad that we're discussing it, you know, sort of separately because uh, we talked about exercise and, um, you know, the ways that exercise can be beneficial for metabolism and can contribute to, uh, to healthy weight. And so, you know, that's something I think most people really understand. And most people, I think, in their heads think that the, you know, the opposite of exercising is, is sedentary and they don't really think about the differences between the two. Um, when we talk in medical research about being sedentary, what we really mean is not moving, which is different from not exercising. So um, in the days before, you know, uh, people's lifestyles, you know, kind of evolved to where they are now, where many people are spending, say, a lot of their daytime hours um, sitting, maybe sitting in a home or sitting in an office or sitting in front of a computer screen in the days before that, um, people had a lot more 
just natural movement in their lives. Um, we had a lot more jobs, for example, that involved people moving around all the time as part of their job, depending on what they did. So they weren't just, you know, sitting for eight hours a day. They were up, you know, moving, doing some kind of activity, even if we didn't call that exercise, they were doing some kind of activity as part of their everyday life all the time. You know? um, and we've continued to kind of migrate away from this as a culture, and the health impacts of that are now being looked at, um, you know, not just as contributing to uh, to weight gain um, or to a more difficult time losing weight, but actually the the research on being sedentary shows that overall it actually decreases your lifespan. So it's fairly significant. And this is completely, again, separate from exercising. This is not the same as saying, you know, uh, exercise is beneficial for your health or exercise is beneficial for your, your life. But actually, the more sedentary you are, the more chance you have of not only uh, having a less healthy body weight, but just simply of dying sooner. Being sedentary is incredibly unhealthy sort of across the board, also for weight. I'm, I'm not crazy about memes, but um, a recent one was uh, sitting is the new smoking, sort of saying, basically saying, you know, if you're going to be on your butt all day, it's going to increase your risk of uh, not living a long life. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have not seen that one, but I mean, I would really agree with that. Um, and, you know, the the upshot of sort of that, you know, immobility is sort of a rapid acceleration of metabolic dysfunction um, that, you know, it's a, it's remarkable what just having regular movement will do to prevent that. You know, and again, I am not talking here about, you know, hitting the gym for, you know, 30 or 60 minutes a day four or five days a week. I'm talking about just getting out of a chair or getting off of a couch and moving your body around in space versus sitting. So moving, walking, stretching, yoga, any other um, modalities that you can talk about that help to reduce that sedentary lifestyle? Things that we would think about of, you know, activities of, of daily living, you know, walking around your house to, you know, do regular housework. Um, you know, if you're even if you're driving from place to place to, you know, run errands, parking your car a little further away to, you know, walk a little further to get to the front door of the grocery store, um, you know, finding ways to uh, to move around, you know, either, you know, inside, outside or otherwise. Um, even if you're working long hours, I mean, I'll use myself as an example. I work from home. I work from a, you know, a, a laptop computer in my own home office, and I try to make sure that I spend um, a certain number of hours every day working standing up because I'll move around while I stand up. And so I basically put my chair away for, you know, at least two or three hours a day, and I stand while I work. Um, so you're now seeing the evolution of things like, you know, treadmills for desks and things like that. Um, you know, other things that people can do that even if they have a, a career or a job that keeps them, you know, sedentary where they can actually be getting in some movement. Um, there's great uh, little, you know, programs that you can put on your phone or on your computer that will, you know, give you a little reminder once an hour to stand up and stretch yourself, things like that so that you are doing things actively during the day to keep yourself moving versus keeping yourself still. One of the functions on my uh, Apple Watch does that. 
every once an hour tells me stand up and then it right. keeps, then it keeps track of that throughout the day to make sure that at least once an hour you're standing you're stretching you're moving yep yep so anything things like that are great helpful tools um you've given like two apple watch examples today i might have to go get one of those <laughs> you're, making sound, you're making it sound really useful <laughs> so i'm i'm uh, not shy about uh, leaning on technology a little bit when we need to yeah, well, so, I mean, you know, again, if, if technology can be helpful in helping people be less sedentary, then uh, then it's going to be helpful in making people healthier. So I'm going to be in favor of that. Well, excellent. You know, we've, we've uh, covered a lot of ground. We've talked about uh, sleep and stress and sugar and sedentary lifestyle. Uh, is there anything else you want to add to this as far as, as lifestyle issues that uh, affect weight management? Just in summary, you know, I would hope that just the discussion that we had today, um, talking about sleep, stress, um, sugar intake, you know, sedentary lifestyle, I hope it would impress upon people just a little bit that um, there are a lot of small, actionable things that people can do to put themselves into a healthier environment for maintaining the weight that they want, right? So probably the hardest thing really that we we talked about today that underpins many things is, is stress and stress management. Um, but even small steps that people can take, every little piece adds itself up um, to an overall benefit of creating a lifestyle that is just, you know, better for your health and, and better for weight management. So looking at all those small things and understanding that the cumulative effect of them can be large is probably what I would want to emphasize. And taking taking all of those small steps and, and putting them all together slowly uh, can really have a big impact. Thanks, Jacqueline. Thanks for being uh, on the podcast again. And we're going to do a fourth piece, a fourth uh, episode here um, about supplements and how supplements can also affect weight management. So uh, stick around for that one or listen to that one uh, later on. And uh, we'll see you again. <laughs>